You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number 25. Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. I am looking forward to today's topic, but before we get into that, I just want to talk about the new program that I just launched. It's called the Unbreakable Athlete, and it's a six-week program that's geared towards athletes who are dealing with chronic or autoimmune illnesses and are looking to overcome those and find optimal performance. You might be thinking that you aren't an athlete, but in my mind, if you exercise, then you're basically an athlete. So even if you just take a couple of classes at the gym or you run for fun or do the occasional race, then you're an athlete and you can be in this program. I don't want people to think that I'm only talking about super competitive or elite athletes here because that's not at all the case. The reason that I made this program specifically for athletes is because I found that a lot of times we go to see our healthcare practitioners with whatever complaints we have, say something like fatigue, and we get told to stop working out or not to run so much if you feel tired afterwards. But the problem is for a lot of people, it's either a job if you're a professional or honestly just not something that they really want to give up. Sure, you might have to cut back or make some changes, but for most people who are active, they actually enjoy it, and asking them to stop is an almost surefire way to make us sad, angry, or keep us in this spiral of fatigue and exhaustion and not cut back at all. So I wanted to create a program that really helps keep you doing what you love while also working on healing your body so that you can keep doing what you love. So it's a six-week program, and we cover all kinds of stuff, including a new gut healing protocol that I've been using that has been working so freaking well. We will look at how to adjust your diet to address some of the potential food sensitivities you might have without completely derailing your athletic performance, because as much as I love a Whole30 or the reset protocol that I have in my ebook, the 30-day energy reset, those tend to make people feel pretty lousy for a few weeks, and it makes continuing to exercise at the level that you're used to uh, a little bit more challenging. So I finally figured out a way to minimize those effects. We also talk about some of the mindset and stress reduction things, and of course, sleep, and ways to decrease your toxic exposure, how to fine tune your food and your feeling strategy. And then the last module is all about how to make all of this work for you going forward without making yourself crazy. So it's a live program, meaning that you don't just sign up and then get access to all the modules. I'm going to be giving you the content in real time in a private Facebook group. You'll also get a meal plan if that's something that's helpful for you, um, but you don't have to follow the meal plan to do the program. I'll also be holding weekly office hours where as a program participant, you'll get access to me to ask questions or get a little one-on-one coaching if that's what you need. So I'm really excited about this. And the first round of this program starts on June 18th. So if you're listening to this podcast in real time, it's being released on June 13th, 2018. So you have just a few more days to sign up for that. And I'll put a link in the show notes, or you can go to marthaflorence.com slash unbreakable dash athlete. So that's marthaflorence.com slash unbreakable dash and then athlete to register. 
All right, so onto this week's topic. This week, I wanted to talk about naps and even more specifically, how to master the art of napping. Because I know a lot of people claim that they aren't good nappers and that they aren't good sleepers, but if you're not going to be a good sleeper at night, you should at least try to be a good napper because you need sleep. And the good news is, is that a quick nap or even a a meditation session, if you're good at meditating, can count as an entire sleep cycle. So if you track your sleep at night and only get five hours of sleep, you can use some sort of tracker to do this. um, And you can see how many sleep cycles that is. Then you can add a sleep cycle or two with just a nap in the afternoon. Almost 50% of Americans say that they're sleep deprived, which means that the actual numbers of people who don't get at least seven hours of sleep is probably much higher than that. I think it's around 65%, but I can't remember exactly. But only 34% of these people who are reporting that they're sleep deprived are taking naps. I get it, it's hard to find the time or a quiet place, especially if you're at work all day, but you can get some amazing benefits from a little midday nap. So the first step to napping well actually starts with how you start your day. When you wake up in the morning, you need to tell your brain that it's morning. And you might think this can be done just by waking up and turning on the lights. But the problem is the lights that we use inside our house are actually not bright enough to tell your brain that it's daytime, but they're too bright to let your body know that it's time for sleep. To give some numbers to this, the light from the sun is around 100,000 lux. And then the light from the full moon is around 0.25 lux. Indoor lighting is generally around 200 to 300 lux, and a phone or tablet screen is anywhere from 30 to 50 lux. And those actual numbers don't really need to mean anything to you. The important part of this is the comparison between them. And in thinking about it from an ancestral perspective, so in times when there was no indoor lighting or electricity, you would have gotten up with the sun and gone to sleep when it was dark. Since our circadian rhythms are driven by light, this makes sense. So if 100 lux is what your brain needs to know that it's time to be awake, and less than around 0.25 lux is what your brain needs to know that it's time for sleep, you can see how 200 or 300 lux might cause you to feel groggy and not know whether you should be asleep or awake which means that if possible, you should aim for about 15 to 20 minutes of actual outdoor light in the morning when you get up. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go outside. Getting this light through a window is also good. But you can see how working in an office with nothing but artificial light can cause some problems and potentially make you really sleepy. There was a study that I read that said that people who worked in offices that had windows slept for an average of 46 minutes longer per night than people who didn't work near windows. And that's because their circadian rhythms are regulated by light. So they got light during the day and their bodies knew that it was time to be awake. And then they in turn got better sleep at night, which is amazing. Okay, back on track here. In order to optimize your napping, and actually your nighttime sleep as well, you need to get some bright light first thing in the morning to tell your body that it's time to wake up. You also need to eat breakfast because light, food, and movement are all cues that tell your body whether you are supposed to be awake or asleep. Next, you need to time your nap properly. This timing is based on the natural fluctuations of your hormones during the day, as well as your circadian rhythms. So your cortisol, which if you remember is your stress hormone, but also a hormone that opposes your sleep hormone, which is melatonin, and tells your body that it's time to be awake. So your cortisol dips around five to seven hours after you wake up. 
And this also correlates with the half-life of caffeine in the average person. So around five to seven hours after you wake up and drink your coffee, the caffeine has worn off and your body is experiencing a dip in cortisol, which makes it a perfect time to take a nap. So if you got up at 6 a.m., this would mean that optimal nap time for you would be between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. This doesn't mean that you have to nap between those hours, but if you're not good at napping or you think you're not good at napping, it will probably be easier for you to fall asleep if you do nap about five to seven hours after you wake up. The next thing that you're going to want to do, no matter whether you are at an office or at home, is to create a little nap time ritual and to make sure that you have a good space to nap in. This is just like creating a nighttime ritual for optimal sleep, which if you haven't started doing this, then you need to. It signals your body that it's time to shut down and rest. Pop in a pair of earplugs, turn off the lights, start a naptime playlist or a meditation app. All of these things will signal your brain that it's time to just chill out for a bit. Trying to nap in your cubicle is really not ideal. And even if your office has a nap pod, which I learned about 6% of workplaces in the United States have, it's probably not quite as comfortable as your bed at home. But really all you need is some darkness and you can use a sleep mask if you can't shut the blinds and turn out the lights and a place to lie down, which even the floor will work in a pinch. If you can silence your notifications on your computer or your phone while you're napping, you will actually get better rest too. You're also going to want to set an alarm because you probably don't have the luxury of sleeping all afternoon at work and as little of 10 minutes of napping is helpful. Beyond that, you may need to do a little experimenting to determine the length of nap that allows you to feel refreshed but doesn't leave you feeling groggy when you wake up. Sometimes I like to lie down on the couch in the afternoon because I work from home most days and I don't actually fall asleep, but after just 10 minutes of lying down with my eyes closed, I'm able to get up and be more productive. I believe this is what my dad calls resting your eyes. So your eyes are closed, but you're not really asleep. This last step happens after you've taken your nap. In order to be as productive as possible after you wake up, you need to get your body to wake up and be alert. Though if you prefer stumbling back to your desk half asleep, that's fine too. Once you wake up from your nap, you can splash some cold water on your face and do some sort of short burst of movement. So that can be jumping jacks in your office or a five minute walk outside in the fresh air and sunlight. These activities help to signal your brain that it's time to be awake and alert again. Almost everybody can benefit from more rest, but this is especially true for athletes. There have been numerous studies done showing that athletes who sleep better actually perform better. And remember that napping still counts here. So one study done in 2007 put 10 healthy men through a series of sprints, both before and after a post-lunch 30-minute nap. Their sprint times improved after the naps, which suggests that a post-lunch nap improves alertness as well as physical performance. Since the effects of sleep and napping are also cumulative, you can bank sleep to a certain extent. So in the case of athletes, if you anticipate that you are not going to sleep well the night before a big event, which is really common, you can actually start increasing your sleep um, and napping leading up to the event so that you're well stocked by the time the event rolls around and you get that one night of lousy sleep. There's also this phenomenon known as the caffeine nap, where you drink some coffee and then have a nap. This works because it takes about 20 minutes for the effects of the caffeine to kick in. So by the time you wake up from your nap, you're actually just starting to feel the effects from the caffeine. So not only have you gotten a little bit of extra rest, but you're also primed and ready to go for your afternoon. 
All right, short and sweet this week. That's it for this week's episode on mastering the art of the nap. I hope that some of this was helpful for you, or at least maybe helps you to justify your napping habit if you are already a good napper. I'd love to hear about your naps or how this information helped you to start napping and if you see any improvements in any areas of your life or physical performance with regular napping. You can leave a comment on the blog post for this episode, which is at marthaflorence.com slash episode 25, so episode 25, or send me an email and tell me all about your napping experience. As always, if you're enjoying this show, I would love it if you would take a minute to head over to iTunes or the Apple Podcast app and leave a rating and a review for the show. This helps other people to be able to find it more easily. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. 